two, three, four. In this podcast, you will only hear Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader, includes but is not led to who talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the jump that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Crystal Fox reports they are divided. For equal sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired. And their time is up, so here's the Knights of Vader. Most impressive. A big thank you to N Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is February 17th, 2019. My name is Zach Weber. And guess what, folks? It is a mono e mono discussion. No zanger, no Jim. That last part shouldn't be that surprising. Just us together. It's going to be an intimate episode of Knights of Vader because we're dealing with a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And the fact that I couldn't record last week because I was in the process of losing my voice and I had to try to save as best as I could. So I am recording this as late as possible to get it in under the wire with enough time to edit it for Thursday's deadline. But here we are. And as you've already seen from the title of this week's episode, it is called The Problem with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I'm certain there's at least probably a couple of you right now saying, Problem with Galaxy's Edge? I cannot wait to give Disney my baby's milk money so I can go ride a five-minute long attraction that I had to spend 15 hours waiting in line for. Zach, you crazy person. You better sign over your paycheck and your firstborn to the mouse or else. But before we get into that, I'm going to I have for, for once in probably, no, not once, probably one of the maybe handful of times in the history of this podcast so far, I've actually taken notes or actually have an outline of what I want to discuss. This is going to be very similar to the understanding the box office failure of Solo episode. I'm going to lay this down as best as I can, but I'll probably fumble it still in the process. But basically, here we go. First and foremost, uh, the whole reason why I'm doing this is not because I have any sort of animosity toward Disney or the theme parks. At this point, I know that the Disney Corporation is so large, you kind of lose track of what Disney owns and what they don't own. It's fun having conversations with people. They're like, oh, I love blank movie. And I'll be like, you know, Disney owns that now, right? And they're like, oh, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to keep tabs and everything that Disney owns. But I, I'm by no means a Disney hater. I'm not doing this as any sort of misplaced animosity or misdirected animosity, I guess is the right phrase for it. I'm doing this because I've been thinking long and hard about Galaxy's Edge for years now. I don't think we've covered Galaxy Edge as like a, a titular topic. And it's got to be well over a year now. And I feel it was about this time it was due. Plus, it's something that I'm pretty sure none of my co-hosts are particularly thrilled about. I know Zenger and Jim aren't big theme park gurus or fans like that. So I figure it was best not to waste their time. And plus, it gives me a little bit more time to uh, focus on this. But at the same time, it's also going to be, even though I have notes and outline, it, they are very uh, sparse notes. It, it's just more of a stream of consciousness. Again, if you've listened to my book review episode, you know what you're getting involved with. It's me just basically uh, talking at you. So basically, I first want to give you my history with the Disney parks. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, if you've listened to Cinemodies even briefly, you know I lived in Florida for the first 12 years of my life. And while I lived down there, I more or less, I don't want to say I lived at the Disney parks, but I went there. I probably spent more time at those parks in the first 12 years of my life than most people do their entire lifetimes. I lived about hour and a half, two hours away in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. And my brother who lived there, who not to get to my family tree, was much older than I was. His wife and his son, they had annual passes to Disney back when they were uh, somewhat affordable. But they always had a fourth annual pass that they would bring people along with. I guess that's back when Disney would actually allow that. You could have like a fourth annual pass that wasn't tied to a specific individual. It just basically it was like a blank pass. As long as you paid, you could bring anybody or they could bring in when they wanted to. So I basically lived at those theme parks for a few years straight. Like almost like I'd say at the very least once a month, maybe even twice a month, we'd go down, we'd go head east to Orlando. And we did basically a little bit of everything from the theme parks to the the downtown Disney stuff, which isn't downtown Disney anymore. Uh, basically a little bit of everything. So I, I like to think of myself as an, as an expert 
in the last few years, I've kind of lost my grasp on the Disney theme parks just because there's so much going on and what they're currently doing just doesn't interest me anymore. Uh, that, that's a topic for another discussion. We might get into it a little bit later on, though, but the current trajectory of the Disney theme parks leaves a lot to be desired. I basically want to lay out what I expect from a Disney theme park. What I expect, basically, and when I say like a theme park, I am talking about uh, your top tier, your top shelf, A++, your, your Disney's, your Universal's. I'm not talking about Six Flags or, or Cedar Point or any of those other lesser tier theme parks. Uh, I remember once when I was in high school, we had a field trip to Six Flags, and we were on a bus, and some, some kid's like, can you believe this girl says Disney is better than Six Flags? And I'm like, Yes, because it's true. Uh, half the thrill of going on a Six Flags uh, attraction is the very real possibility that you will die on the ride, considering uh, uh, <laughs> Six Flags really don't care. Um, allegedly, I had the allegedly in there, but uh, from my last time I've gone to Six Flags Great Adventure, most of that theme park was being held up with uh, chewing gum and paper clips. But that's definitely a story for another day. Uh, but no, so like what I expect from a Disney theme park when I go in, and can keep in mind I have not been to a Disney theme park since 2007. And I know a lot's changed since then. It's basically uh, that you could still kind of taste the Michael Eisner era still back in like the mid-2000s. When I go to a Disney theme park, I want to basically live the IPs that I know and love. And I know that's a controversial thing nowadays with Disney theme parks. I know there's this huge push to anybody who knows what original Epcot was saying like, oh, it's basically becoming intellectual propertyville. And I don't, again, I, I agree with that element of it. Like, no, there shouldn't be Guardians of the Galaxy in the Universe of Energy Pavilion. That's, that's inherently wrong. Keep Epcot pure, or at least what it was intended to be. Not everything has to have an IP shoved down our throats. But I'd say in pretty much every other one of the theme parks, that's appropriate. Um, you could even, even maybe even World Showcase, if you know your Disney Epcot sections or partitions, that at least makes a little bit sense. But it's it, it, that's what I want from Disney. I want to be able to go to a place to interact with the characters I know and love. That That's essentially what I want at a Disney theme park. So when people complain about like, oh, they've added a frozen meet and greet in the middle of the Norway Pavilion. I'm like, well, at least it makes sense considering what where, where Frozen takes place. But like I said, that's what I want out of a Disney theme park. It's the idea of, I think it was Universal Studios had a slogan called Ride the Movies. And that's essentially what I want out of a theme park. And considering that Disney had the turnaway business all these theme parks are doing now, despite the rising prices, uh, clearly uh, I, I, <laughs> that's the way things are going. Again, tying this into the current state of Disney theme parks. Even though I, it seems like that's what they're doing when it's like, oh, let's let's ride the movies. I do think there's some magic loss in the current era. It just seems like, okay, we have a popular IP. Let's figure out a way how we can shove it into the theme parks, whether it makes sense or not. I think I, one of the worst examples of this is I think what they've done with Space Mountain recently in the last few years, where it's like hyperspace sports Space Mountain. We're going to take Space Mountain and we're going to make it Star Wars-y. And it's like kind of the equivalent of like, imagine if a kid wants like a Star Wars themed like birthday party and all you do is buy like one Star Wars themed like, like Mylar tablecloth. And it's like, here you go, Johnny or Janie. Here's your Star Wars birthday party. It's like the bare minimum. And it's so obvious when Disney is just doing something for the sake of doing it and whether there's any sort of effort in it. Uh, I think that applies to most of the attractions they've built in the last few years. It's just, oh, we're just doing it because the market research does it. There's no really grand plan involved. Um, I, my, my favorites of this, I think they're building a Tron coaster at the Magic Kingdom in Disney World. It's like, oh, why is it Tron themed? Because it glows in the dark. Okay, apparently glow in the dark equals Tron. Good. Is it anything to do with the characters? No, it's just glow in the dark. Great. It's going to sit there and make them a ton of money. They don't care. So yeah, but like again, I feel there's not a lot of effort or finesse put into Disney attractions. I know there's a big thing now, like oh, like with Universal, everything now. Like, I'm pretty sure every single uh, ride that Universal builds now, it's just uh, a simulator, whether it be Transformers, Harry Potter, uh, King Kong, uh, Jimmy Fallon. Apparently, that's a profitable IP. Everything's just now uh, simulators with a screen. Again, to each his own, but again, it lacks the the texture of something that you could get from Disney era attraction, even back in the mid nineties, which I know a lot of people like to crap on now with uh, Michael. Apparently, Michael Eisner's name is Mud, but I've never. I can kind of get why people don't like him, but that man really did understand Disney better than the current. Again, he might have made mistakes, but he understood the company better than the current regime does. 
One last thing I want to conclude just my history with Disney, and it tie, it'll tie in later on, is just the insane fanaticism that surrounds Disney theme parks nowadays. Uh, I remember back in 2007, I found this thing called the Extinct Attractions Club, which talked all about just attractions that just no longer existed at Disney. I know now from YouTube that is an insanely profitable business. If anybody out there just wants some uh, free advice, uh, I want you to lean in for a second. I'm going to whisper something in your ear. God promise I'll tell anybody though, so I'm just telling you this. Make a YouTube channel based on Disney attractions that no longer exist. Guaranteed you will make a fortune off this. Because I've seen it more times than not at this point on YouTube that if you make it, it doesn't matter. You cannot have any understanding or history or knowledge of extinct Disney rides. If you do it and put it on YouTube, you will make a fortune. Just let you know it's free money. If I had the, the hardware and the software to do that, I'd be in that business now too. But it's I, I remember back in 2007 with the Extinct Attractions Club, you had to basically buy the DVDs online, and they were God, they were like twenty five, thirty dollars a piece. And I have a handful of them, and that was kind of like, oh wow, this is really cool. And I know in recent years, just like the insane, just like uh, oh God, I don't think fanaticism is even a strong enough word. Just the community that's around that nowadays is just baffling. Like I've talked to Rob a couple of times because we interviewed someone on Cinemates about um, defunct Disney ride stuff. And I remember Rob tried to like, tell me, like, why do people like this that much? And it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I get it. I like, guess a niche topic. I get it. But as an overall thing, uh, like, a thing that, like, millions and millions of people are just steeped in, I don't get it. Maybe, maybe it is a niche thing, just a very large niche thing. I don't know. But, yeah, like, the insane fanaticism around Disney theme park stuff, it, it's baffling. Um, but, again, to each his own. Whatever, whatever makes people happy, I don't care. And you're probably saying, okay, you promised Galaxy's Edge. Where's the Galaxy's Edge, Zach? I want that creamy nougat in the middle of, of the chocolate. Give it to me right now. So, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, or at least uh, as of recording this, we are a few months away from the Disneyland version opening up. The I think the tentative opening date for that is summer 2019, with it always being summer doesn't technically end until mid to late September. And I'm pretty sure the Walt Disney World version is listed as late, underlined, capitalized, italicized, bolded, fall 2019. So that could be another one where it could be like December 20th at like 11 o'clock at night. As long as they get that deadline, it won't be considered delayed. But from what we know as of now, because there are, Disney has been rather tight-lipped on this, and I remember the first time I heard about Galaxy's Edge, before I think it even had that name, it was just called Star Wars Land, is like Bob Iger was out there, the CEO of Disney, making like the, the same sort of like puff, puffery comments that he makes about all these IPs. And he's like, this is going to be the most authentic Star Wars experience ever brought to man. And I'm like, I don't think there ever was another. I, I didn't think we already did that. The fact that it'd be even more authentic. All we basically had was Star Tours and that was it. And I guess, uh, what was it, Tatooine Traders or what was it called Endor Vendors? So I don't get how you're upping it from that or how it's much more of uh, an increase considering that the bar was kind of not set low, but there really wasn't much there. But he's like, this will be the most authentic thing possible. And the first thing that ran through my mind being the cynical, jaded, snarky a-hole that I am, I'm like, oh, so the entire land's going to be in the Star Wars language, like Orabresh. It's like, it's going to be like, you're going to have like everybody from different communities and cultures of the world walk in. No one's going to have any idea where anything is. Again, that, that was just my knee-jerk reaction to it. Again, they, they can, God, that's the thing. It's annoying. That's one of the things I really hate about Disney PR is how annoying it is. Like nothing can just be like, oh, we're doing Star Wars land. Get excited. It's like, this is going to be the greatest thing of all mankind get on the train now or it will leave you forever like everything's just heightened like it's like and by the same time is that by using that sort of hyperbolic language continuously you devalue every you devalue it in the process so when something is worth getting excited about it's like oh whatever and that's kind of the reason why i am so disillusioned with disney theme parks that was the first comment he made from what we know about star wars galaxy's edge it's going to take place sometime between the last jetty and episode nine, I've heard rumors that apparently, like, once episode nine is out, they're going to try to tweak things in it to make it sound like it's post episode nine. Because from what we're being, uh, again, when as of recording this, episode nine is supposed to be the grand conclusion to the Skywalker saga, which is not going to mean much five years from now when we get a Kylo Ren or Ray movie. But that's how they're selling it. So I've heard like language, like they're going to tweak it a little bit, so it's going to be post. Episode 9, kind of like how Star Tours, the original incarnation from the 80s, was pitched as, oh, this is going to be uh, the Star Wars galaxy post-Return of the Jedi. 
despite the fact of the Death Star in it. And so, again, it, it's Disney playing loose and fast with continuity, and that, that doesn't bother me. I know there are people out there that are grinding. Their, I know there's idiots out there that go, is Star Wars Battlefront 2015 canon? And I'm like, it has no storyline. How can that be canon? It's just people playing a game online. Like, geez, folks, leave continuity alone. Like, continuity is not everything. But yeah, that's kind of like what we know so far when it comes to the timeline timeline of Galaxy's Edge. That is in Episode Eight, Episode Nine uh, era of things. It takes place on Bot Two, the most boring place in the galaxy. If you've listened to my Thrawn Alliances review, it's surrounded by dead, petrified trees because nothing says exciting in the Star Wars universe like dead, petrified trees. Uh, again, I don't get it. It's sad that when somebody's sitting in a room by themselves on a Sunday morning can think of better ideas than the people that are paid six-figure salaries. But I guess the market research told them dead petrified trees was exciting. There's going to be two main rides. There's, or I guess, two e-ticket attractions if you know your Disney history work. Really, the exciting stuff, it's not going to be like a Dumbo spinner. You know, for years now, I know they've threatened like a, a, a Dumbo spinner-esque attraction of X-Wings and TIE Fighters. And as corny as that sounds, I, for some reason, I find that very fun. And I think there's, I think they're in the original like designs for that. There's like a little button so you could like lock the X, S foils in attack position. I don't know why, but now that sounds. It's funny how these kind of quaint ideas now seem so much more fun than just the uh, the over the top. Like we've made the Millennium Falcon with eight hundred thousand buttons and lights. And it's like you ever think maybe you're just overwhelming people with detail, considering that like no one's ever like, outside of like. Uh, a Disney blogger that's take a picture of this and they'll get 400 retweets. Is anybody really going to appreciate the detail? Like after a while, it's just like, what's the point? Like you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. There's no, there's no oomph to it. There's no passion to it. You're just doing it because you can, you can put it on a brochure one day. On top of the two major rides, you're going to have a couple of like quick service dining restaurants. You can get like a hamburger, a hot dog, French fries, those sort of things. There's going to be a marketplace where I guess you could just, it's, it's a glorified, gift shop corridor and there's gonna be ooga booga's cantina because that's a thing apparently because everybody needs to drink alcohol at disney you're spending an absolute fortune to be there you're spending in the minimum thousands of dollars to be there and nothing says let's enjoy this like uh getting inebriated but once again to each his own so i'm going to describe there's some rumors there's actually a pretty good detailed uh breakdown of what the star wars rise of the resistance ride is going to be about if you don't want a theme park ride uh, spoiled for you, don't listen to this part. I, I, again, this is just a rumor. Again, until someone rides the ride, we don't know how accurate it's going to be. But if this really m means a lot to you, I personally don't think there's anything in this that's going to ruin the attraction for me. But I know there are people sensitive out there that apparently knowing that there's going to be a lightsaber in episode nine is a spoiler. So please uh, skip ahead by a few, probably five minutes because I'm going to break down the Millennium Falcon ride after this. Still there? Good. So the the Rise of the Resistance ride, from what I've been able to glean from rumors and leaks, I think it was attractionsmagazine.com had a, a really good uh, breakdown of this. I'll link to it in the show notes. Check out their article. They'll go into it in a lot more detail than I currently am. But basically the breakdown of the attraction is, and I know there's a lot of just, again, hype, hyperbole, I think is the correct term, around this ride. And people are like, this is the ride where you'll get on the ride and be able to get out and walk around for 30 minutes, and then the ride will continue. It's like, no, no, that, that, that's wrong, false. Uh, fake news. So basically what the ride is, and I think if you know your, if you've been following any of the rumors, there's been like this ride vehicle that Disney's been past showing off as like a model at like D23, Star Wars Celebration. I think it's currently at the Star Wars Launch Bay thingies at the theme parks. It's essentially a U-Wing crossed with a B-Wing. And what it is, is that the ride, you'll be on the ride queue and you'll be you'll be snaking along waiting online for 14 15 hours to get on this thing that lasts maybe all six minutes if you're lucky and you'll get on this b u wing whoever the hell they're calling it there's a name for it. i don't know what it is um it's some dumb name it has like some 14 syllable long name and it's like you get on this thing and people are like oh my god the ride begins at that part and then once you get off this ride once you get off this ship you'll be able to walk around interact with the attraction in real time not exactly. From what I've been able to glean, it seems like it's very um, – if you know the queue to the Haunted Mansion, 
There's a part for those of you who don't know when you're waiting online for the haunted mansion, you're, you're waiting out or okay. I've only been to the one Florida, so I don't know the Disneyland one, but you're, you wait online outside and you get inside and you kind of, you snake through the corridors of the haunted mansion. Then you get into a point where you have the walls, the, the walls are getting longer, but essentially what it is, it's a, um, themed queue. It's, it's a themed line. So it keeps you engaged and it tells you the story of the ride while you're technically waiting online. It's a great way to pass time. That part I have no problem with. Very clever. And that's essentially what this UB wing part is. You get on this little contraption and it turns around 180 degrees and it opens up on the other side. But while you're on this thing, essentially the plot is, oh, you are leaving bot two. You are going on a resistance transport to go do something. I don't know what it is that you're supposed to be doing here. And But while you're on this uh, U-wing, B-wing, you get caught by the first order so when the doors eventually open on this you are in a first order star destroyer and you get off the first order star destroyer and the queue continues and this is the part that people are confusing that you have to interact with the ride no it's you it's basically the line you're basically just what it's again it's the elevator the walls are elongating sequence of the haunted mansion you're not interacting with anything it's just the line disguised as part of the, as part of the ride so you go after you get off this you snake through the corridors of a first order star destroyer until eventually you're put into like a little how oh god i don't even want to call it a ride car it's kind of like if anybody's been on the dinosaur ride I don't know if it's still called Countdown to Extinction. That might be me being dated a little bit. Or the Indiana Jones ride from Disneyland. Or the Spider-Man ride from from Islands of Adventure at Universal. It's basically you're in a little ride vehicle that holds eight people. It might be ten. I don't know. They were clever. They would put ten there. But they might, I think the, 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 the pictures we've seen only show eight. And that's when you get on and you're being told, oh, you're being processed by the First Order as prisoners. And you go through the entire ride. And at one point, uh, a resistance droid comes out and reprograms your ride vehicle and it's going to help you escape the first order star destroyer so while you're doing that you like you go you're racing around corridors if you've seen this ride vehicle i don't know how it's going to race it looks very clunky it looks very it doesn't look very high like if you've seen the the indiana jones one or the dinosaur one which are pretty much the same ride vehicle or the one from the spider-man ride they all you can tell there's some sort of level of just maneuverability even though they're big hunking machines there's a level of maneuverability you can kind of just infer from looking at it this thing i don't get that vibe from it looks very reminiscent of the universe of energy like where you cut like the, the giant like theater pew ride vehicles where it's like it, it, it looks very slow that's the vibe i get from it but until we see it move who knows and as you're kind of just making your way through the first order star destroyer corridor you're gonna see oh you're gonna turn a corridor and kylo ren's gonna be there and he's going to sit there, like, make some... It's 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 very for, uh, Force Awakens Kylo Ren. It's not Last Jedi. We don't know at this point what Episode Nine Kylo Ren looks like or what his attitude is. But it's going to be very much the Force Awakens one where he's going to be the whiny child just uh, screaming at you for no reason. So you're going to see that, and you're going to back up real quick and start going through different corridors. It's at that point you get... I think you get caught by a first order officer apparently kylo ren couldn't catch you but the first order officer could and that's when the, i think it's in some of the promo footage the resistance shows up to save the day and you see you see x-wings a-wings resistance bombers mon calamari capital ships and then that's when you start to really make your escape into, in the whole thing the whole building starts shaking and there's you can hear you can feel the cannons of the first order ship firing upon the resistance fighters and that's cool i got no problem with that and then you snake down like another corridor, and this is where Kylo Ren catches you again. At this again, the first order is just really incompetent, folks. They've already let you slip through their grasp twice. Um, Kylo Ren catches you again, but apparently during this skirmish with the resistance, something happens where you get um, a barrier gets placed between you and him, and you escape again. And you, as you're escaping, you encounter the two giant Adat walkers that. They're AT-AT walkers. They're not ATM6s, despite the fact this is Resistance or this is a sequel trilogy era. Because again, I feel like this is another Darth Maul at the end of Solo. It's like, okay, let's put original trilogy iconography in the sequel trilogy ride in, in Star Wars land. But whatever, apparently they know better than I do. Whatever the market research tells them, and that's when you get you get shot at by them and you run away. And you're again you're snaking your way through the ride, and then once again Kylo Ren shows up, and. It's at this point, apparently over the course of the ride, your ride vehicle has been going up different stories that apparently by this point in the ride, you're forced, you're about 40 feet, four stories up in the air on the ride, on the, the show building. And it's at this point, Kylo Ren starts to like interact with you or he, he has his lightsaber out at this point. And apparently it's a Kylo Ren animatronic. It's not 
uh, a, a projection screen, which I find highly unlikely because I can't imagine Disney building a, a again. Considering we've already seen Kylo run three times, this I don't know why they built three uh, animatronics. It seems too uh, too much effort for them. He's basically doing the thing from The Force Awakens where he has a temper tantrum because he's lost you three times, and while he's having the temper tantrum, he loses you again, and you somehow while he's doing this. He, you sneak into an escape pod and you launch from the escape pod. And that's the four story drop from being 40 feet up in the air. You escape. And that's like the, that's the thrill ride element of this. Having the man, baby episode, uh, sequel trilogy villain flail his lightsaber at you. Apparently isn't the thrilling part, uh, much to my chagrin. And that's where you get the thrill ride and you, and that's the end of the ride. Basically you go down four stories and you, and you get let out and you get put into the gift shop. That's essentially the first order ride. Or I'm sorry, Rise of the Resistance, the ride. Neat, I guess. It, not much of a story, just you get to ride around on a First Order Star Destroyer. Okay. The next ride, which has maybe my favorite name in the history of Disney theme parks, Star Wars colon, Galaxy's Edge colon, Millennium Falcon colon, Smugglers Run colon, Give Us All Your Money colon, the ride. Only two of those taglines are hyperbole. And there's like six or seven uh, colons in that, in the official title. I'm not making that up. Um, this is the Money and Falcon ride. I know a couple weeks ago when Zenger and I were talking about uh, canceled video games, I was complaining about this. And I won't go into it too much again if you've already heard it. But essentially what it is, it's the Hondo Anaka ride where uh, both Chewbacca and Han Solo are not involved at all. I find that absolutely baffling that they are making a Millennium Falcon ride that does not involve Han Solo or Chewbacca. Like that is mind blowing. Like I do not get that. That like, like if you wanted to make a list of the dumbest decisions Disney's ever made, that might be a top fiver. Like somewhere Michael Eisner's just like rubbing his like hands together, being like, "Ha ha ha! You thought Euro Disneyland was bad." Um. So basically, there's not as many details on this from what I've been able to glean. Is you're you're riding throughout again. You, it's a simulator ride, it's essentially Star Tours. It's Star Tours where you get to push buttons. For all you Star Tours fans out there, are like you know what, I love this ride so much. But if only I could push buttons, I would be all that much happier. You know what, your dreams are coming true right now. After you've spent ten grand, your dreams come true to push buttons. Basically what it is is that Hondo has stolen the Millennium Falcon or somehow for some reason Chewbacca has given him the Millennium Falcon and Hondo's like I have a job for you because when you think of modern era Star Wars the first character you equate to that in the Millennium Falcon is Hondo Onaka. I don't know about you but guys I know when I see episode when I was excited about the sequel trilogy. Um, I was expecting Hondo. That's why I associate with Star Wars is a third-rate character from a cartoon series that got canceled because Disney felt there wasn't enough money in it, and that Lucas said was unprofitable. But hey, to each his own. So Hondo tells you, you I think it's from what I've known. I think the rumors say there's three different ride scenarios. There's one where you have to compete on a race on Corellia. There's another one where you're on a ship, uh, a First Order shipbuilding factory on Corellia. Apparently, Solo must have been really popular in the uh, development department in, in Walt Disney Imagineering during this time. And I think the third one is you have to smuggle something for Hondo. Not Corellia. A little disappointed that apparently third time wasn't the charm of Corellia. Um, and that's apparently the three ride scenarios. Uh, there's, there's two pilots, two engineers, two gunners. Uh, basically, it's Star Wars Mission Space. If any of you have been on Mission Space, it's essentially that. Hopefully, it'll kill a lot less people than Mission Space has. Go look it up, folks. It's true. Mission Space is a very deadly attraction. And that's essentially what it is. I, I, I Again, I, I, it's a Money and Falcon attraction. I don't know how you could screw that up. Yeah, apparently, just based on the fact that there's no Han Solo or Chewbacca, and I, 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 I don't know. It's, I look at the ride, because they've done a couple, they've done some really good glam shots of the ride vehicle for this, or the, the it, it, it reminds me of actually the Back to the Future ride at Universal, where you're like, it's like six people in a ride vehicle, and you're in, and I think it's actually, a, it's not just you and your ride vehicle, it's like three or four other different cars, and you're all watching the same ride footage at the exact same time, which just shows you how interactive it's going to be and how your choices aren't going to have any impact if five other buggies or simulators are doing the, or viewing the exact same thing you're doing. Um, and clearly, you're not going to have much of an impact on this. But again, I might be misinterpreting this, so forgive me. But one of the things I find so weird that if you look at this ride, um, I guess there's going to be seatbelts. But if you look at the back of the seats, there's like there's like a grip 
like 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 a handlebar grip. And I'm not talking about like one of those like safety latches that they put down upon you that you can grab onto, like any sort of theme park or roller coaster. No. So you're gonna have like a seat belt, like a very comical, just like not even like your conventional like car seat belt where it goes across your chest. You're gonna have a lap be- a lap restraint, a belt, and you're going to have to hold, lean forward and hold on to the seat in front of you, which Again, I don't get a how that's practical in any sort of safety way. And two, let's say you are the first person, like you are at the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, and you have someone behind behind you that's holding on to your seat with a with a bar in the back of the headrest, just constantly jerking it. It's like how's that going to be a fun ride experience? Like I'm not going to get whiplash from the ride and get whiplash from the eight year old behind me that just wants to give me his own personal version of the ride by shit rock like violently rocking my chair. I'm like, and then never mind too. Imagine you want you're sitting in a ride and you have to lean forward. Like again, maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but based on what I've seen so far, I don't think I'm that far off. But again, I guess disappointment's the overall theme of this ride. Because between the lack of Han Solo and Chewbacca, pretty much no control over the Millennium Falcon other than just arbitrarily pushing buttons because it's fun. And then the fact you have the fact that people behind you can control how much your seat vibrates personally. Uh, I, I don't know. Whatever. I, baffling decisions that I just don't get whatsoever. Well, again, uh, example 347 of if the jerk in his in his office thinking about this can process it better or think it out better than the people who are getting paid six figure salaries. I, I, again, I guess my general explanation for this is whatever the market research says. Um, so that's basically the breakdown of the two rides based on the, the, the current rumors that are out there. Other than just the, the, the two major thrill rides, quote unquote, of this land, I already mentioned we're going to have Ooga Booga's Cantina, the Marketplace, and the Roam Around characters. I want to really focus on the Roam Around characters because we've actually heard the least about them. Um, but first, uh, Ooga Booga's Cantina. This is the thing they're really cut. This is really good thing. I, I swear to God, they're gonna make more money off this than they are gonna make anything out. They're gonna make more money off this this one restaurant than they are of anything. And if you again, if you know your Disney history, there's um, or your Disney what goes on at Disney currently at the Magic Kingdom in New Fantasyland, they have uh, Be Our Guest, which is the you get to relive the Beauty and the Beast dining experience. Which I know for like it was one of those things for I, I think it pretty much it costs an arm and a leg to get in there. Plus, if you want to get reservations, you have to book them out six months in advance. And this is going to be the Star Wars equivalent of that. And so I know they're doing. I know there's a bunch of marketing stuff that's been announced in the last couple of weeks about like the road, the 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 path to Galaxy's Edge. And there's a comic book. There's a Ithorian that apparently sells you crap. Um, stuff like that. There's comic books, books, and there's a book coming out sometime in September because nothing's as exciting like a, a book based off a of theme park land. Um, I, you know, I know about you guys, but I love that book Walt Disney published in the 1950s called Frontier Land. That was one of my favorite books back in the day. Again, but market research says. So yeah, but Ooga Booga's Cantina in one of the books, I think it's called Pirate's Bounty. That's about Hondo. Um, he, he like lives in Ooga Booga's Cantina and it, it's sad. It actually, from what I've been able to, to get of this book, it actually reads like a glorified, like marketing pamphlet. It's like at one point Honda's like, Oh, I love all the drinks I can get at Ooga Booga's like, and I quote the fuzzy Tauntaun Sarlacc juice, the carbon freeze and Gamorrean grog. Like that's real. Like he actually says it. He listed just like that. Which oddly enough, or not even oddly enough, I think we all can assume those will all be orderable beverages at Ooga Booga's Cantina at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, coming summer 2019 to Disneyland and fall 2019 to Walt Disney World Resort. So much just unabashed, just marketing. It's like, come on, Disney, you've been doing this for years. You should know how to work this stuff in a little bit better. Just not have it hit you over the head with it. Uh, and apparently also in the book, they make it very clear that the DJ droid, p- poor poor Rex from uh, the original Star Tours, has been demoted to a, a DJ. Apparently that's what happens to you in the Star Wars universe. You fail your first pilot's test and you become a DJ. Apparently you go, you go from one to the other. And, the, and according to Hondo, the song that really likes to get played a lot is Mad About Me. And for those of you in Realville, that is essentially the the cantina song. So uh, just be prepared to hear that on loop. 
You're just going to hear that continuously. So there's going to be no other music. So nothing, again, nothing says original Disney theme park like playing, having a brand new cantina playing something that's 40 years old. Again, weird sort of clash of just nostalgia and new. But we'll get into that later. Um, the marketplace where you can buy your 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 gift. I know they've been talking a lot about like, oh, there's going to be custom merchandise in Galaxy City. It can only be purchased at the parks. Yeah, that's nothing new. That doesn't bother me. That Disney's been doing that forever. Theme park exclusive merchandise. And there's going to be a couple of food and dining areas. Again, quick service, like I said, hamburgers, french fries, chicken sandwiches, those sort of things. Nothing really reinventing the wheel. But the thing I find the most interesting is that in a couple, of, they haven't talked about it recently. It's been actually a few months since they've brought it up that there's going to be roam around characters. Like if like if anybody remembers, if anybody's gone to Disney, like if you're in Fantasyland or Tomorrowland, you'll see like Stitch walking around, or you'll be seeing like again all, all the characters, again walk around characters. Everybody, I hope hopefully everybody knows what I mean by that. And what I find interesting about this, and like I said, this is Star Wars taking this, uh, Galaxy's Edge takes place during. The sequel trilogy era. And you figure, oh, like you'll see Poe Dameron walking around. You'll see Finn. You'll see Captain Phasma. No, you won't see any of them. You'll see such exciting characters as Harkos, Vi Marathi, and Doc Ondor. I don't know about you guys, but Doc Ondor is my favorite character of Star Wars. I have all of his action figures. I have him from like the little Micro Machines character all the way to like the $300 Hot Toys. Doc Ondor is my favorite Star Wars character. Well, you're probably saying, Zach, you're crazy because I've never heard of these characters before. And you'd be correct. These are characters that are brand new to Galaxy's Edge. Except for Vi, who was introduced in the Phasma novel. Everybody's favorite Star Wars literature piece of Star Wars literature, Vi Maradi. Like, in all honesty, uh, Vi is a really cool character in that book, but I'm pretty sure out of the 99.9999999% of people that will go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, they will not know who Vi is. And sure, again, I don't know why you don't have recognizable characters, but. Sure, let's introduce new characters that nobody has any sort of affinity for into the into what's supposed to be your best theme park land you've ever created in the 60 plus years of Disney theme parks. At this point, I've been talking for about uh, two hours and we're going to get into why this doesn't work. We're going to break it down as to why. One of the things I first just want to kind of lay out is, okay, is that for those of you who aren't theme park people, I know I've said that a few times, so please forgive me. But the whole reason why Disney is doing this with Star Wars or putting such an emphasis on this more than they would typically any other, like why the hyperbole, which is usually a nine, in this case is about a 12, is because of Harry Potter and Universal. And to give you all a little bit of backstory on Universal, the Harry Potter thing, um, back like in the early, like, guy, I want to say like the early 2000s. Disney went to J.K. Rowling and was like, oh, we want to do Harry Potter theme park stuff. And J.K. was like, oh, like, you're Disney. I think this is great. I'd love to work with you. And essentially what happened was that Disney had one or two, like, they had, like, one ride in, like, the equivalent of, like, a Dumbo spinner. Like, one of those rides, that just, they buy it off the shelf, and they just theme it up a little bit to the, to the IP. And J.K. was like, this is awful. It's like, you're Disney. Where's the effort? And they're like, honey, we're Disney. Leave us alone now. And she was like, like apparently like steam started shooting out of her ears. And she's like, F you people. I'm going to Universal. And Universal, which at the time, again, your mid-2000s, was kind of, I don't want, like, they were kind of just there. There really wasn't anything, like Universal had, like, at that point, still the most exciting thing Universal had was the, the, the Spider-Man ride. And when I say this, I'm talking more Florida than anything else. The Spider-Man ride was really still their kind of their groundbreaking attraction. And so she went there, and Universal just kind of like pulled out all, like laid out the red carpet for her. Said, and they were kind of like they did a Ryan Gosling to her. They're like, "Hey, girl, I'm gonna treat you right, unlike that mouse across the street." They amped it up so high for her, and Universal grew as a company when it came to designing attractions. They really amped it up because they they announced that like in 2007. I think it was right during the time the last Harry Potter book came out. I remember that being a headline, like all at once. You had like uh, Order of the Phoenix coming out in theaters, Deathly Hollows being released as a book, and they were announcing the theme park stuff at Universal. 
Disney really didn't take it too seriously in the late 2000s. But when the part when the Wizarding World opened up at Islands of Adventure in 2010, the story is is that uh, Universal expected to recoup their investment within two years on building the park. They recouped their entire investment in three months. That's just how massive the success of the Wizarding World was at Islands of Adventure. And this is more the, the Hogsmeade part, not the stuff that happened at uh, Diagon Alley. And that's why, basically, they couldn't, they couldn't build Diagon Alley fast enough. I think it was within a couple hours of, Hogwarts, of Wizarding World at Universal opening up. They're like, quick, demolish the Jaws ride. We have to demolish it. We need the space as quick as we can. And I, it basically, that was probably the only time in the history of Disney theme park stuff that Disney really started to sweat. And they were like, oh, crap. We got beat at our own game. And they did. They honestly got beat at their own game. Because you look at what Disney was doing in the early 2010s. It was New Fantasyland. Seven Dwarves Mine Train. It's like, it, like, I mean, it's a reason why I became so disenchanted with Disney theme parks. It's like there was no imagination behind it. It's just like, let's do the bare minimum with, with whatever the market research tell us the market research people tell us is popular. That's usually what it was. It's like, oh, let's do a Snow White ride. The kids sure love their 80-year-old movie rides. It's like, oh, God. And at the same time, they were tearing down all the rides that actually had some personality to them, whether it be the great movie ride, Snow White's scary adventures, things like that. Things that and plus, it, <laughs> the Haunted Mansion's a broken shadow, whatever, whatever it once was. And at this point, they've already updated the Pirates of the Caribbean ride every 15 minutes. You might not know it, folks. If you look really closely at some of the dark corners of the... Um, Pirates of the Caribbean ride, you'll see a poor Disney cast member quickly trying to like assemble a, a Johnny Depp Jack Sparrow animatronic in the corner between before the next boat arrives. It's like, quick, quick, what's the instructions? Where's this head go at this point? Oh, quick, quick, the sword goes where? What they do now is they just keep shoving, shoving IP stuff in here. Um, that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm glad they never made another Haunted Mansion movie, is because I can't imagine how they'll destroy that ride even further. Um, uh, where was I? Um, <laughs> Oh man, Disney theme park ran. I got off topic. Um, uh, but but no, the reason why getting back to Harry Potter was that Disney like starts sweating and was like, "How are we going to top this?" And but they had Avatar in the works. Uh, Avatar was a theme park that theme park land that that is taking almost as much time as it's going to take for Jimmy C to finally release and sequel to Avatar. And the whole time I heard stories because when Avatar Land was announced, it was like 2011. I don't think it opened until about 2016, if I'm correct. Maybe seven, well, maybe even 17, probably 17 if I had to uh, think back. It was like, why do they need Avatar? It was like, why, like, why are they wasting effort on Avatar? It's, it's, it's a movie that, even though it made a fortune, highest grossing movie still worldwide. And it's like, why are they doing this? And they built it. And I think it's very similar to Galaxy's Edge in the same sense where you have two major attractions and people are like, oh, how's this going to do? And it, it, it's a successful theme park land. And a lot of people are like, oh, like this, like the uh, Avatar Land is great or whatever they call it. They have some name for it, like the World of Pandora. I'm going to call it Avatar Land because it's just simpler that way. And like people are like, oh, this is great. But imagine if there were like movies based on this that actually made me want to care about it. And it was like it basically was the training wheels for what Disney was trying to do with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I'm thinking about Avatar Land, and I'm like, why on earth? Like, you're like, even though I, I, I never been to Avatar Land, so again, I don't know anything about the rides. From what I've been able to tell, it's really cool. But it's like, oh, it's almost kind of like a brand new or non movie based IP. Yes, I know Avatar is a movie. See, well. Hopefully, according to Jimmy C, it's going to be a series. It's still just a single film at this point with a couple of toys and I think a book or two. Um, but it almost plays like a brand new like land in the park because it really is. Like there, There's no Sam Worthington. There's no Zoe Saldana. There, there's none of them. There's, there's none of that. There's no – what's his name? Stephen Lang. Any Stephen Lang fans out there? Um, there's none of that. It's basically just brand new characters that are not in the movie. And I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. When you're if you're looking at this from the sense of like people want more non movie IPs in the theme parks because it really is other than just sharing the same name and some of the same like buzzwords associated with Avatar, it is really not connected to the, the movie at all. I guess this is the core thing that really is the thesis for why I'm making this episode is that or this discussion is that there's no identif like, identifiable characters in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge other than Kylo Ren. 
I know they have a Captain Phasma cast member that dresses up or walk around character that does parade marches through Hollywood studios and Disneyland on occasion. But like they're selling this as a thing where there's no Han Solo. There's no Chewbacca. There's no Ray. There's no Finn. There's no Poe. There's no Leia. There's no Luke. And I'm like, that's the whole point as to why people go to the theme parks. And like I already said, there's a lot of grief Disney gets for just shoving IPs into Disney, but they're shoving the IP just in name only. Like, where are the characters? And I bet a lot of you who've listened, our longtime listeners, all three of you, are probably saying, Zach, all you do is complain about the fact that Disney doesn't want to do new stuff with Star Wars. All this is uh, rinse, lather, repeat of, of what we already have. And you're right. When it comes to the movies, I don't want that. The movies are where we should be having new stuff, introduce new stuff into the Star Wars saga. But theme parks is where you go to, you want to be immersed in that world. And that's what Universal and J.K. Rowling knocked out of the park with Hogsmeade and Diagon Alley. You want to be immersed in that world. That's why those two theme park lands are so insanely successful. People want to be able to walk down uh, Hogsmeade. They want to live in Diagon Alley. They want to shop there. They want to ride the Hogwarts Express that looks like a one-to-one replica. That's what you want from a theme park. You want to go, and I know I've talked about it a couple of times with Force Ghost Jim, is that you want that one-to-one experience of walking into Star Wars. I've never been to Batu. I don't care about Batu. Why on earth are you making Batu? It, it, it's incomprehensible. Like if they want to do a theme park Thing. They should be picking something that's really steeped in Star Wars iconography and do that. You could, yes, you can have the sequel trilogy characters in there, but to the love of God, I want to ask you: Would you rather go to Ugo Booga's cantina with the droid from Star Tours DJing it, or would you rather go to Worse Cantina from t- Most Eisley Tatooine with the Cantina Band being there? Which would you rather want? I, I know. That the marketing research would corroborate the latter, my claim. Like, that is just uh, bizarre. Why would you create a Star Wars? That's the one thing I know for years. People have been telling me they've been going to Star Tours ever since the the mid to late 80s. They want to go into the cantina, a one-to-one replica of the cantina from A New Hope, and order a drink at the bar. They want to do that. And and yes, you will be able to order a drink, but you're going to order it from Ooga Booga. And and with Vi Morality and Doc Undar in the corner. No, I I want Panda Babu and Doctor Evazon there. I want to see Chewbacca in the corner with the Tonica sisters. Like that's what you want from a theme park experience. That's why Wizarding World was so successful, and Disney somehow just completely missed that. I guess that's bound to happen when you have your your head so far up your own butt. But it's like. I don't know how they missed that. Like I don't get that. And that's just and that's kind of one of those reasons why I I just I do not care about Galaxy's Edge. Like I know I said it last summer with the Throne Alliances book. I'm like, Batu is the most boring place in the galaxy. And it really is because it's just it's Star Wars branding. It's Star again, it's kind of like uh like imagine like a very crude like banner that says Star Wars Land, and it's just over generic stuff. It feels like something you would see like you know like Las Vegas. I think I think in Las Vegas they had Star Trek: The Experience. It feels like that. It feels like more of a exhibit that does a fully immersed land because you can't have a fully immersed Star Wars land without the iconography of Star Wars. And this kind of ties into my fact that I'd be shocked if there's no Batu in episode nine. Cause then, cause if they put that in that movie, they can then my entire argument goes out the window or at least when it comes to the iconography, not the characters going back to the lack of identifiable Star Wars characters. I have a, I think I have a reasoning as to why they think this way or why they're doing this. And I think I've said a few times on here that there are, I, this is again, my own assumption. I have nothing to back this off, base this off of other than just my own intuition, understanding, uh, experience guided by wisdom. There, I think there are a lot of people working for either Lucasfilm, Walt Disney Imagineering, the executive suite at Disney that just aren't Star Wars fans. And that's not meant to jab. That's said objectively. It's not, it's just, it, it, it's, it's an observation basically, or an assumption. It's a theory. And this is the example I give, or the, the, the um, antidote. Back during 2005, on an episode of The Apprentice, 
insert joke, President Donald Trump here. They had one of the tasks that Trump gave them was it was for Best Buy. Best Buy was doing something with Trump and The Apprentice where they had to uh, create a marketing campaign for Best Buy to promote Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. In this segment, like obviously, like any if anybody remembers The Apprentice, Trump obviously they were all broken up into different teams, and on one of the teams, um, they were going through a bunch of just like production, not production stills, but like when they take like uh, reference photos of like all the characters in Revenge of the Sith. And there was one guy on the team, or this one particular team, um, there was one guy, he was like a diehard Star Wars fan. He's like, guys, I am your ringer. I'm going to knock this out of the park for you. And you had a woman on the team and she was just like, she's going through all, at one point, I, I remember this so vividly. And she was going through all the reference photos and she saw a, a image of Tion Midon. I don't know if it's his name. He's the Utapauan president. And she's like, we should have this guy on the on the standee. Because I think at that point they were arguing, like, oh, who should we have on the standee? And the, the Star Wars fan guy's like, no, like we need our Darth Vaders, our Obi-Wans, our Anakins. We need them. Like they like, like Padme. We need our core characters. And she just would not let go. She's like, but this guy looks cooler. And he and he started like pulling his hair out and saying, like, no. Just because he looks cooler, this is not what people identify with Star Wars. Like when it comes to making them want to buy something, and like I, I don't, I forget how it happened. I don't know. If it was, I, I, I don't. I think maybe she got her way. I, I'm pretty sure. Whoever it was, like they would not. Like the whole group would not listen to him. He's like, guys, I've been a fan of this thing for almost 30 years. Trust me, I know what people want. And their argument was, well, we're non-fans and we're trying to entice non-fans to buy this. And I remember at the time when I was 12 years old, yelling at the TV saying. If they're non-fans, they're not going to buy the DVD at Best Buy for $25. And I think that's the mentality and rationale that's currently at Walt Disney Imagination and Lucasfilm. You have people that are non-fans making decisions as to what should be popular. And that's what it, I think that's why you, you're going to have the problems you do with Galaxy's Edge. Because that's like, look, look at all the people that like wait online hours. There are people that wait online four hours to get their picture taken with Anna and Elsa from Frozen. Like, who's going to, in all honesty, wait online to have their picture taken with Harkos? That, that poor cast members could be sitting there in a costume that's going to make it feel like it's 175 degrees out in the Florida sun. And there's going to be no line to see him. Like, I'm not going to care. Like, who cares about Harkos? Like, may, instead of making it Harkos, make it Bosk. Make it Dengar. Make it a character that's or even that's where Hondo would come into play. Make Hondo there. Make it that Hondo is trying to recruit pirates. And, and for his, he's trying like, after the second, whoever is the, the first order conflict is done, or whatever we're gonna call the rise of the first order era. Having that he's trying to recruit recruit pirates, make him plug him into that element of Galaxy's Edge, not as the owner of the Millennium Falcon. Jesus Disney, come on. Like I'm getting angry about this now. It's it's just oh my god it's it's so baffling and that's what drives me nuts about this. And then the second thing too is just like look at the Millennium Falcon ride. How do you make in all honesty a Millennium Falcon ride without having Chewie or Han Solo? Heck, have Ray. I'm pretty sure Daisy Ridley has nothing going on after Episode Nine. Pay her to have her do stuff, and I'm not just talking about like what happens. In Star Tours, we're like, oh, here comes the Jakku sequence, and John Boyega will show up on screen for like two minutes, or Oscar Isaacs during the the crate stuff on Star Tours. I'm not talking about that. Have it a little bit more intertwined. Have a part of the ride, the Millennium Falcon ride, be Han Solo as I don't know when he loses to the, the Millennium Falcon to the Dukar, what called the, the Dunkar boys, the whoever they are from referencing the Force Awakens. Have that sequence. Have it like, oh, this is the thing that has Han Solo and Chewie lose the Millennium Falcon. Tie it into that element. Have it some some other thing. Like I know I know Solo with Alden Ehrenreich bombed, but like even that would tie it in better. Like at this point, you honestly can't tell me that more people are excited to go to Galaxy's Edge to see Doc Ondor than they would for Alden Ehrenreich Han Solo. It's like, come on. 
Like that, like, and, and keep in mind, the people that are going to be spending $20,000 on vacations to go here, they're not angry man babies. They're not going to be mad that it's Alden Aaron Mike Han Solo. Like they're going to be more mad that Han Solo is not in the theme park than it is the watered down young version of Han Solo. I, I, or maybe that's just me. Someone tell me if I'm wrong here. Is the absence of Han Solo better than young Han Solo? Please tell me if I'm wrong, but in my humble opinion, I would rather have some Han Solo than non non Solo. So as I, as a theme on this podcast, I think I've said it before. And, it, and as of now, you've heard almost an hour of whining. Whining is stupid and pointless unless you have a resolution to this. And I'm going to give you my ways how I would fix Galaxy's Edge. For the record, I'm not going to fix any of... I already kind of mentioned how I would fix the cantina. I'd get rid of uh, Ooga Booga and make it worse cantina from Tatooine. I'm going to... Uh, that's my easiest way to fix it. When it comes to the money in Falcon Ride, I just laid it out. Basically, I said I, I want some Han Solo and Chewie in there. It's like when you think of the money in Falcon, you think of Han Solo and Chewie. You need them in there somehow. Work, work them into it somehow. Three, the, the Rise of the Resistance Ride. This is how you fix that ride. Because, again, Kylo Ren is great, I guess. Like, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know if there's any diehard Kylo Ren fans out there. I know I, I talked about it before where it was like I read like an Empire Magazine article that they ranked the top 100 heroes and villains. And Kylo Ren was like number six. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm a Star Wars fan. And no, Kylo Ren is like, never mind, his story isn't complete yet. So I don't know how you rank him as number six. I think he was ranked higher than like. Hannibal Lecter, like it was so baffling the, the decision that Empire made in that. But again, lists are arbitrary, so I won't I won't uh, dissect that too far. But it was just like this is how you fix the rise of the Resistance tribe. You change it from the Resistance era or whatever we're going to call the sequel trilogy era. You make it Galactic Empire, and you can pretty much keep the exact same ride intact. I'm not even going to change the ride all that much. Other than again, like instead of having the U wing, B wing. You make it some transport that's appropriate for the time. What you do is instead of having you escape a First Order Star Destroyer from Kylo Ren, you make it the one thing in Star Wars right now that everybody can agree on that they like. Want to take a guess? I'll wait. Ending of Rogue One with Darth Vader. What you do is you have the ride begin. You do the same thing where you are on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan, and you're with you're on a shuttle about to go. You're going to board the Tanta V4, which is currently under repair inside the Profundity, Admiral Raj's ship. You go on board there, and while you're on there about to meet with Princess Leia, or you're meeting Princess Leia, you find out Admiral Raddus is going to fight. He's going to Scarif to help Rogue One. And while you're there, you have this entire thing happen. And you have, again, the battle. Go, you, you look, you're in the same sort of ride vehicle. You look out. You can see the, um, the X-Wings attacking the shield gate. You see the two Star Destroyers crash into each other, one shearing the other one off. You see Admiral Raddus. And the end of the ride is, quick, you have to get to the Tanta V4. You have to you have to get out of here. The ship is disabled. The Death Star has showed up. You got you gotta get out of here quick. And as you're about to leave the ship, or as you're basically the same thing I kind of laid out with Kylo Ren, instead of just for some reason you're just winding your way throughout the um the corridors of the first order star destroyer, you are being attacked by Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One. And in the last shot of the thing is you are next to um, Captain, Ant not next to, but you're near Captain Antilles, and you see him hand the plans to Princess Leia, saying, "Your Highness, the transmission we received. What is it they've sent us? Hope." And that's the end of the ride. 
Because that's what you want from a theme park attraction. You want to be in the middle of your favorite moments from your favorite favorite movies. You want to be in there. You make it Darth Vader or basically the, the, the Battle of Scarif with the end of Rogue One. That's what you do. You make it that, and it's the one thing that all Star Wars fans agree upon. And this whole thing where, like, oh, we need to, we need this level of continuity. Star Tours had no continuity. Why does it matter now? Star Tours currently has no continuity. You go from Darth Vader to being on Naboo during the Battle of Feed to being on Crate. It's like there's, there's, there's no connectivity here. It, there, there is none. It's like the continuity, leave continuity to the media. Leave it to the movies, the books, the TV shows. Leave the, let the video get the non narrative video games and the theme park stuff do its own thing. And that's how you fix Galaxy's Edge. Again, the Millennium Falcon thing I can forgive, but why there's no Darth Vader in all of, think about it. Imagine if I told you in, it's, it's November 2012, or no, I'm sorry, October 2012. Disney has just purchased Lucasfilm from Jorge Lucas. And I come, I, I come next to you. Don't ask how I got into the room. Maybe I came in through the window. And I, I kind of just go up to you and say, Disney's going to make a theme park land about Star Wars. And you're like, oh my God, this is great. And I say, but there won't be any Darth Vader or any of the characters that you love. And it's like, you'd be like, no. Absolutely not. Yet somehow Disney has done maybe the one of the dumbest things it's ever done is create a Star Wars land at its theme parks that's not going to have any Star Wars characters, very little Star Wars iconography except for a couple like X Wings and the Millennium Falcon sprinkled in. And they and, get, and we're all being told this is going to be the greatest success Disney's ever had. And don't get me wrong, it's going to make money. Like, and that's one of my last points here is that uh, by no means am I saying there's going to be like, this is going to fail for Disney or lose the money. I'm not saying that at all. It's the idea that if they're expecting this to be the thing that beats Universal and Harry Potter, oh boy, they are they out of their depth. They have no idea. I, that just, and I think the overall point of this is Disney did this as a way to compete with Universal. And yet they somehow missed why it was successful. And like and I know that it's going to be successful because you look at like thing like again, yes, like I know you go and look at some of the oh god, the purveyors of Disney YouTube fan creation, stuff that I mentioned very earlier on, and they all are just suckling at the teeth of Disney when it comes to this. Much like how Luke milks the giant green dinosaur creature on Octo, Disney is doing that to them. The shills are just like, I, I was reading some thread from some prominent Disney YouTube fan creators, and they're arguing over how they can get press credentials to get into Galaxy's Edge earlier. And I'm like, you're telling me these people, the ones that have half a million YouTube subscribers, the ones that will be covering this and be giving the loudest criticism and judgment on it. Uh, criticism has like 14 quotation marks around it. These are the people that are going to give us objective analysis. Yeah, right. And that's the thing. No one's getting, no, I, I, it's funny. In preparation for this episode, I typed in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge bad into YouTube and couldn't find one video even slightly negative about it. I found one article online discussing why Galaxy's Edge is going to have a bit of like an uphill battle. It's, it's from ThemeParkInsider.com. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's written by Robert Niles called Why Disney Star Wars Land Won't Be the Big Hit People Expect. That is maybe the, uh, the how many years we've known about Galaxy's Edge. This is the only one piece of, of, oh God, the only one publication I can find or article that's actually critical about this and pointing out things that Disney has overlooked or deliberately choosing not to do. And, and that's what it kind of is. Like even look at, they're talking about the, um, uh, Disney, uh, I'm sorry, the, the Star Wars hotel that's going to be next to Hollywood studios in Florida. That's like, if you pay like something like $3,000 a night, you get led into the theme park from like, or the star Wars land from a specific like passageway. It's like, that's why I mean, though, like this is going to make money in spite of itself. Like, I know there's a lot of people out there are like saying, Oh, the last Jedi was the worst star Wars movie. It ruined the star Wars franchise. And yet you look at the grosses and it made $1.3 billion worldwide. And I know to a lot of people that, that hate that movie say, how on earth is this thing that ruined my childhood? that profitable and this is the thing i've always said i said disney does not care about star wars fans they don't 
because that's not what makes the money. If you want to see what Star Wars fans or all the money that Star Wars fans have to put toward this stuff, it's the gross of Solo. Those are your diehard Star Wars fans. That is the total net value of Star Wars fans because casual it's the casual moviegoers. Disney cares about the people who think about Star Wars twice a year. The, they're the priority. Those are the ones that think about Star Wars when they're about to buy their ticket and when they walk out of the theater. Those are the only times those Star Wars fans, those are the fans that they care about the most. And those are the same people who have uh, nice incomes that will have no problem spending ten dollars to $15,000 once every three and three-quarter years for a Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Platinum vacation. Those are the people they're catering, catering towards. But my only concern is those are the people who look for the recognizable things like Darth Vader, like Rey, like Finn, Chewbacca, Luke Skywalker. And I think Disney's missing the boat here. I think that's really the thing. D- Disney is missing the boat here. And once again, I'm not saying it's not going to be profitable. Um, I know there's some really weird language. I know Bob Iger at the last earning call, the one where we all were expecting uh, the episode nine title, made some comment like we don't have to advertise Galaxy's Edge because it's so big. And anybody who knows their Disney history, I don't care if Disney was opening a brand new theme park that that everybody and their brother like it was on the, it was on new, like, oh god it was the focal point of our attention for for three years straight disney markets theme park stuff out the wazoo if you live in in florida i remember when animal kingdom opened up when i lived down there you got hit over the head with animal kingdom it, it called just advertisements the fact that disney's saying that oh we're not going to have to advertise this means that they're starting to hedge their bet a little bit they might be starting to understand there might be problems with this beyond again. There's something I didn't even address in this: is the fact that there's going to be there's going to be lines that like, people are going to be waiting online for this and won't be able to ride anything. There'll be people that'll get there eight o'clock in the morning and by ten p.m. they won't be able to ride anything because the lines are going to be that long. And they'll be lucky they can ride maybe the Han- the the, the Money and Falcon ride or the Resistance ride. That's it. And that that's its own can of worms. But we'll worry about that more come the summer when we have more concrete details on that. But yeah, folks, like I said, I, I'm not I'm not doing this to be a negative Nelly. I'm not doing this to be a Debbie Downer. I want Galaxy's Edge to be good. But based on what they're giving us, there's again, I am a hardcore Star Wars fan. I live in constant fear of my Star Wars love in the form of Star Wars ships bludgeoning me to death in their in my sleep. Yet I have no urge to go to this. And it's not like, oh, I, I know a lot of people have the caveat, like, oh, I'll go once the crowds kind of die down in a year or so. I have no interest in going to this unless they really pull a rabbit out of their hat and there's something in here that they haven't announced that's up my alley. At this current time, there's nothing that they could say that could make me want to go to this. Even if I, there's like, okay, Zach, we're going to let you go in here for a whole hour by yourself. You can experience everything you want in one fell swoop. It's like, no, I have no interest in this. There's nothing here that makes me like excited. And not because like I'm being vindictive. It's not like I'm a, a man baby in a neck beard and it's like, you've ruined Star Wars. No. Like if they said, oh, we're going to get rid of the Rise of the Resistance and do something that's more Star Wars-y, yes, that'd be really cool. But at this time, there's nothing that can, there's nothing here for me as a Star Wars fan. I know, folks, I am truly insane. The Last Jedi is the best Star Wars film ever, and I don't want to go to Galaxy's Edge. There, there, there's, a, there's a special section in the Mental Ward just for me. And on that note, so concludes this solo episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out our Facebook group, type in Knights of Vader into Facebook, and you will find us. Also, we're on Instagram, at KOV Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Anna Superiority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach on Twitter, at Cinemonides, where you can also come hear me talk about weird movies. Where this week we'll be talking about the music videos of Tool. You can also find Zenger, who's not here, on the Zeng This podcast, where they'll be talking about something Zengy. But unfortunately, this week we don't have a moment of Zeng, so you'll just have to deal with me and my crazy rambling as we close this week's episode out. Goodbye, folks! Oh.